Our planet is home to an almost incomprehensible amount of living creatures. But there's arguably only one animal that has the ability to generate fear, awe, and controversy in equal measure. The Great White Shark. Great whites are either a danger to humans, the quintessential apex predator, or a problem that needs to be solved. Taking a stand on any of those viewpoints means you're going to come up against opposition from somewhere. And that's because great white sharks are largely misunderstood. In this podcast, we tell the story of the great white shark from as many angles as possible. From the origin of their reputation as ruthless killers of humans, to their incredible trans-oceanic journeys, from their part in marine ecosystems, and even their influence on our economy. This is Blind Conservation Shark Stories. Welcome to a brand new podcast series on cliffcentral.com. This is Blind Conservation. My name is Spike Ballantyne. My co-host, Anthony Medderer. This podcast series is all about endangered species in South and Southern Africa. Uh, we're going to discuss the problems that they face, the situation that they're in, and what can be done to bring them back from the brink. This entire series was the brainchild of Anthony Medderer, who you might recognize from our Blind History series that is hosted with Gareth Cliff. And Ants, when you approached us with this series, you came to us and said you wanted to do something on conservation because it's an important issue for you, and you wanted to start specifically with sharks. Now, not a lot of people will realize that the great white shark is in a lot of trouble, specifically off the coasts of South Africa. So why did you want to start there? Where Where does your passion for sharks come from? From, I think, when I was about five years old, when I was growing up in Somerset West. And as a little boy, there were the famous Skumman brothers that were shark hunters. And the one day, the one brother, Donnie, he brought a massive great white in. He couldn't take it into Gordon's Bay, so he brought it to Strand. And I was there that day. And it just, it's never got out of my head. I absolutely love sharks. And I'll do everything I can in my power to try and protect them. But what I did do is I wanted to try follow the passion. Business has always been a strong calling for me, and, and so I did end up going into business, um, which has given me the opportunity to support where I can. But I did join the Natal Shark Sport in my early 20s uh, as a shark meshing officer because I wanted to be a marine biologist. That was a great learning experience and the opportunity for me to get closer to, to these incredible animals. And I've stayed close as best as I can. I've spent a lot of time at Seal Island in False Bay. This is kind of a mecca of shark sightings Correct. and shark activity Correct. in South Africa. 100%. And I t- I've taken my family. I've got my, my own boats and I go out there and I've, I've watched incredible breaches. It's so important that our children and our children's children will be able to see these incredible creatures. And that's very, very important to me. Against this backdrop of his passion for great white sharks and wanting to make sure they're around for future generations, Anthony has chosen to highlight the very real problem that the species is facing. The great white shark is disappearing. It's a fact that's been witnessed by local fishermen, studied by scientists, and been documented by specialists, one of whom you might have heard of. Come on, shark. Come on, shark. That's Chris Fallows, presenter of Discovery Channel's long-running Air Jaws series, shark researcher, and an eyewitness to the disappearance of great white sharks off South Africa's coastlines. 
So I started working with great white sharks in South Africa in 1991, so 29 years ago. We worked at Dyer Island and Strasby. And then in 1996, uh, we started working in False Bay. At that stage, we were the first people to work with the great whites there from a tourism and a research point of view. And for probably 20 years, up to around about 2011, 2012, the great white shark numbers and the natural predation numbers at Seal Island and False Bay were incredibly stable. Yes, of course, you would have a couple of dips and a couple of peaks, but if you looked at it represented on a graph, it, it was pretty stable. Then around 2015 or so, we started noticing a, a marked decline. Um, there had been a very gradual decline just before that, but suddenly a significant decline was noticed. And by 2017, pretty much all the great white sharks had almost disappeared from False Bay. There were occasional sightings. And then um, 2019, for the first year ever, we didn't have a single great white shark sighted. Backing up Chris's account is the scientific data collected by Dr. Sarah Andriotti, an Italian shark scientist who now calls Stellenbosch home. Dr. Andriotti is a marine biologist with a PhD and is a postdoctoral researcher with the Evolutionary Genomics Group at Stellenbosch University. She began a great white shark identification program in 2011 and has seen a similar decline in the population numbers. I counted 426 in the area of Hansby from animals that came in and out all the time. They were not residential in one area. We have the same population of white shark around the entire coast, but they roam around constantly or used to. So my reasoning is if 426 that used to visit Hansby moved elsewhere, now we should have so many sightings elsewhere that would be in the range of not hundreds and we don't see that anywhere. We see there are still some in Mosul Bay, but not 50, not 100 sharks. They see maybe 10, 15. Compounding the dangers the great white sharks face in their natural habitat is a very real PR problem. I asked Anthony about his feelings on the often negative portrayal of sharks. Some of the things are just horrible that you actually read. I think Peter Benchley's Jaws book and then then the subsequent sequels with Steven Spielberg, that obviously really didn't do much. But what it did do, it introduced people to sharks. Chris Fallows sees sharks in the media as more a case of no such thing as bad publicity. Personally, I don't like those shows, but I I do ironically feel they have some sort of part to play in, in getting people interested in the animals. Often those people become excited about sharks, and once they've had an interest tweaked, then you know you can really show them what sharks are all about, and you, you modify that interest. So moving on from that negative portrayal of sharks in the media, when you start to spend time with them and you start to look at how they operate, you begin to see that they are quite fantastic animals in a lot of respect. And you were saying you were lucky enough to see a lot of breaches uh, at Seal Island, for example. That's well documented on channels like Discovery and, and programs like Air Jaws. But one of the things I was fascinated to find out about was the story of a shark uh, about 10 years ago by the name of Nicole. Yeah, it was actually early 2000s. So the sharks, they come into the area, Seal Island for that matter, and in particular when Nicole came into uh, Hansby, they tagged her and she disappeared like she normally always did disappear, I think probably in August. And the satellite popped up 
probably three months later, and the information on there just blew the minds of people around the world, scientists around the world. One of those scientists was Dr. Enrico Gennari, another native Italian now living in South Africa in order to study sharks. Dr. Gennari is the CEO of the Oceans Research Institute, an honorary research associate at the South African Institute for Aquatic Biodiversity, a research associate at the Department of Ichthyology and Fisheries Science at Rhodes University, and an adjunct senior researcher at the Institute for Marine and Antarctic Studies at the University of Tasmania in Australia. So, what was that information that blew the minds of the scientific community? Nicole swam from Mosel Bay to Australia in only three months, almost a straight line. I mean, it was unbelievable. I would get lost without a compass. Imagine this shark going straight to Australia. And the amazing thing was that not only went there, but came back to Hansby in, in less than six months. So it returned my lesson in less than nine months, Australia and back. Amazing! As excitable as Dr. Gennari is about the athletic prowess of great whites, he's also aware that they have a reputation as a hunter of humans. As a shark scientist, he knows it's an undeserved tag, but still offers some pragmatism when explaining the truth. Obviously, sharks are dangerous. They like a lion, so you wouldn't walk in front of a lion. You would be crazy, right? Um, so expecting something different from a shark is... Crazy. However, they don't search for humans. They don't look for humans. We're not part of their diet. And Mosel Bay is a perfect example. We have Seal Island, so white sharks, only 800 meters from the closest uh, swimming beach. So um, I think there is a lot of opportunity. And sharks uh, have a bad rap, but it's changing. And that makes me very happy. When you combine these factors that we know about sharks, they're a low threat to humans. Humans are not part of their diet, and they have this incredible athletic ability. And they're also not small animals. Some of them get up to enormous sizes. I mean, there's there's stories of six-meter-long great white sharks, which is a huge animal. And they are considered an apex predator in every sense of the word. So you'd think from those points of view, you'd look at it and go, well, the shark is actually untouchable in a lot of ways. But the reality of it is it's very different because they're under threat from a lot of different points. Correct. I mean, humans is the number one. That's its biggest enemy. There are predators. There's been a lot spoken recent years about orcas. We have port and starboard. Port and starboard. Port and starboard. Two known orcas that have staged incursions into great white shark feeding grounds and are allegedly, not definitely, hunting the sharks themselves, killing them and removing their livers. Autopsies have been done on shark carcasses and evidence points to orca attacks, but an actual attack by an orca on a great white has never been seen. Chris Fallows argues that even if Port and Starboard were killing great whites, it wouldn't cause their complete disappearance. Certainly cannot be argued that the two orcas have had an effect on white sharks in the Khanspar area, where several white sharks have washed up dead, but it's highly likely and and almost certainly is as a result of those two individuals. But the same thing has happened in the Farallon Islands on two occasions and once off the Neptune Islands in Australia. And in both of those occasions, the white sharks disappeared for short to medium term and then returned. The same thing has happened at Dyer Island where they've disappeared for a short to medium term and then returned. Also had white sharks and the same two orcas come through Mossel Bay 
And once again, there's a short-term disappearance, but they return. And it's no ways can that be the reason why these animals have completely disappeared. Dr. Andriotti agrees, saying that blaming orcas is a bit of a cop-out. I think that makes a really good, feel-good story because it averts the attention from the stressor that comes from people and make the disappearance of white shark as an entirely natural event with what we have nothing to do. So it's not human's fault if these big predators now start to disappear. But few people know uh, that orca being around South African coastline in the past is not a new thing. Uh, I remember in 2012 taking photo the ID and no genetic samples in Hansby, and there were orca by the island, and there were sharks around, and it never caused such a long-term disappearance of sharks. There are other areas in the world where when orca came in, sharks move out, but it's always for a very short period of time. I think they can have an impact in the short term, but I don't think we should justify the disappearance of an entire population around the coast because of two orca. The fact of the matter is if you talk to 10 different scientists, you'll get 10 different opinions of why the great white sharks are disappearing off our coastlines. But one of the things that is bandied about more often than not is climate change. From a sea temperature perspective, is that a factor? You know, it's hard to see that it actually is. The great white is more of a temperate ocean shark, but the salmon sharks, the poop eagle sharks, the short fin macos, the great whites, they can hunt in freezing water. A great white can go across most regions. And the evidence collected by Chris Fellows on over 3,500 expeditions to Seal Island goes some way to debunking the idea that climate change is responsible for the problem. In False Bay, we've observed great white sharks from temperatures as low as 11 degrees Celsius to as warm as 24 degrees Celsius. And around the world, they've been recorded in water temperatures as low as 2 degrees up to as high as 28 degrees. So they have an incredibly high tolerance and threshold for water temperature change. So it's highly unlikely the most noticeable and, I guess, generally spoken about effect of climate change is going to be the driver for their disappearance. We haven't noticed massive changes in salinity, and we haven't also noticed massive changes in oxygen levels in False Bay. There have been changes. So, yes, there could be unknown factors relating to climate change that we haven't noticed that are specific to False Bay and Hansby, which seems unlikely. But the major changes don't seem to have been the driver. So, if it's unlikely to be climate change or orcas, two things which, by the way, we can do little about in the short term, what is causing the disappearance of the great white shark? Well, if you haven't guessed yet, you probably still won't be surprised to hear that it's humans. When these sharks come into areas to mate and to feed, the fishery very, very successfully targets them and they will fish an area till there's pretty much nothing left. Each shark that lives out there, one day out of four days, it can be killed. It's a staggering average. In our next episode, we'll uncover the reasons behind the great white shark's endangerment and also explore the story of why the loss of these great animals from our coastlines is more than just an ecological disaster. A lot of people depend on these shark age driving companies for their well-being. We'll also let you know how you can make a difference in the fight to save one of nature's most incredible animals. 
This has been an episode of Blind Conservation Shark Stories with me, Spike Ballantyne, and my co-host, Anthony Mederer. Our thanks to Dr. Sarah Andriotti, Dr. Enrico Gennari, and Chris Fellows. Audio from Air Jaws used with the kind permission of Discovery Channel. Blind Conservation is written and produced by me, Spike Ballantyne, co-produced by Dori van Lochrenberg, and is a production of cliffcentral.com in South Africa. You can find the full series on cliffcentral.com, the Cliff Central app, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.